I wanted to begin with a question today. If you had to uh, decide as of today, however long your life may have been, there's obviously quite a spectrum across the room. What would be your appraisal so far? Have you had a good life? Now, my point, honestly, isn't even in asking the question. What I want us to think about is, how do you answer that? How did you answer that? In other words, what did you use to decide your answer? What was your ruler? What was your measure? What things, factors, people, experience, whatever, what did you use to decide is the answer yes or no? That, to me, is the interesting thing, and the thing I want us to think about a little bit today. We've probably, every one of us, seen scenes from the hurricanes of the last few weeks where reporters have interviewed people in the midst of the rubble of their former lives, but you've heard frequently them say, you know, I and my family are all alive and fine, we're fine, all this stuff doesn't matter. And yet, how often do we use that stuff that doesn't matter to answer that question? And yet, that stuff doesn't matter when the hurricane comes through. Where does a fulfilling life come from? We're in the midst of a three-week series looking at just three key passages that, that help us see that God has some wisdom for life so that our lives can work. They're not, just, they're not three passages just about God or about, well, I need to go to church. They're three passages where God steps back, Jesus steps back and says, if you want a life for that works, here's some advice. Here's some things you need to think about. Here's some things you need to keep straight so that you have a life that works, a good life. Is that good life in the success we have, what we possess, what we accumulate, what others think of us? the experiences we get to have, or is that good life found in something else? The story we want to look at today actually happened to Jesus as he was out teaching. And in the midst of traveling, somebody came up and asked him a question about an inheritance. Because two brothers were actually fighting over an inheritance. We've seen that again and again, haven't we? Nothing tests a family like the death of parents and what happens with the money, the stuff. Well, this brother was in this fight. Luke 12, we're going to read later, but stay with me, uh, 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This guy asked a question, wanted some help with his brother, 
one of the things you need to know for this story to really click and work is in the New Testament world when there was a death, inheritances were not divided up equally among the children like we would normally do today. Because the family's continued existence tended to depend on the business or the farm continuing, three quarters of the inheritance went to the oldest brother, the oldest son, so that they could keep that farm running or keep that business going. And all the rest of the kids, large family or not, they got the other quarter. And that's the way it was. And there were practical reasons for that. But if you're one of those other kids, it was like, whoa. We say, I got the short end of the stick here. Well, it seems to be that was this brother who said, Jesus, make him share some more with me. And of course, he didn't get the answer he expected. Because it wasn't even really an answer about his question. And what he did here was Jesus talking about greed. It was like, where'd that come from? Thanks. Help somebody else, will you? But Jesus understood what was really going on in that young man's heart, and that's what Jesus was trying to really help him with. And that is that the meaning of life, that good life, isn't there from what we have. And Jesus knew that what he was trying to explain was something people, it was new to them, they weren't going to get it, So he said, let me tell you a parable. He was a master teacher. And he said, let me tell you a parable about what success really is. You want a meaningful life? You want success in life? Let me tell you where it comes from. And so he told them the parable that follows in verses 16 through 20. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what do I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like he found the good life. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Let's stop and look at this story for a minute and look at this farmer's success. By a lot of measuring sticks we would use today to say, have I found the good life? By a lot of those measuring sticks, we would say this farmer was a success. His career was working. He was obviously a very good farmer. And he was having great results, great harvests. His crop yields were off the chart. And he was wisely not just wasting that money. He was reinvesting that money in his facilities, his equipment, his buildings, so that he could even make more. His profits were so big, he had harvest for years to come. All of the neighbors, I'm sure, wanted to be like him. So how in the world could Jesus say he was a failure? He had it all. 
Yet God's evaluation was, you're a fool. You've wasted your life. You're not a success. In fact, this life that looks to many others as a roaring success is an, in fact a dismal failure. The lesson was, just like the younger brother who said, give me more inheritance, the lesson was that life isn't about what we have. Life isn't about our accomplishments. Life isn't about what others think. In fact, there is only one measure that matters. Only one opinion really counts about life, and that is God. What does God think of us? And our lives and how we're living our lives and what we're doing, what we're accumulating, what we're spending our time on. Where we would look when asked the question, have I had the good life? What would God say? Here was the mistake the farmer made. It's a mistake I would say most of us make. It's so easy to fall into this mistake. In fact, he had built his entire life on some assumptions, and they are assumptions we all tend to make. The first assumption is that I can control my future. I'll work hard, I'll plan, I'll build bigger buildings, I'll plant better crops. I can control my future. My destiny is in my hands. Based on how smart I am, how hard I work, how well I plan, if I save enough, if I take care of my needs, I control my future. His second false assumption was that what I have guarantees my happiness. If I have more, I will be happier. If I have more, I will have a better life. So getting more is what it's all about because that will produce happiness. His third false assumption was that what people think of me really matters. If I fit in, if I have more than the neighbors and they look at me with admiration, that's what really matters. And the next false assumption was that I can provide a secure future for myself. What I do, what I have, I can take care of my security for the future. And based on building his life on all of those false assumptions that in fact weren't true, that's why God would say, you have built a life of cards. And for right now, while those cards are all standing, it looks pretty impressive. You're maybe up to the third layer of cards or the fourth layer of cards and everybody else in the restaurant's like, wow, look at that. And God said, let me just blow a little bit. And see what happens to the cards. What happens to that life that you thought was so secure. The truth he missed. The truth that God understood in looking at his life. Is that he can't control his future. He didn't even know his future. None of us do. There is not a person in this room today that can control your future. We don't even know our future, do we? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We think we might. We have some plans. But a year from now, 
honestly, we don't like to admit it, we don't have a clue, do we? Will we be here? Will we be employed? Will we be healthy? Will our family look like it does today? What can we do that we know about the future? The other truth that God understood, and that is that stuff doesn't provide happiness. It does for a few moments, doesn't it? Six months? That's if something's really super good. And then pretty soon it breaks. We need more. We need another. I was reading a commentary this week for this, and William Barclay, his great old commentary, has had a Roman proverb I'd never heard. Wealth is like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Wealth is like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Isn't that true? We reach that next step and we're satisfied and happy for... And then suddenly, ooh... Gosh, the neighbor got a newer car. Look at that. Mine can't do that. Or whatever it might be. Wealth, what we have, doesn't provide satisfaction. What people think of me doesn't really matter. The truth is, which people? You look at our world today. One group is cheering for you and the other group is throwing rocks at you. Or what everybody today says, this is the answer. Do everybody be like this in two years? Oh, that stinks. And everybody's moved on to something else. Measuring our lives by what people think. You want to talk about hitting a moving target? That has to be the ultimate example of trying to hit a moving target. Because what people think is all over the map and it's changing constantly. That won't work. And we can't guarantee our future. We can't can guarantee our health. We can't guarantee the economy. We've very clearly seen we can't guarantee the weather. We can't guarantee world events. We can't guarantee what other people do. 99 out of 100 of us can't even guarantee what we'll do with any kind of consistency. And anyone who has built their lives on all of those false assumptions, ignoring those truths that God understands, we qualify as fools, don't we? If we want all of those things, there is only one place to look. One factor that can guarantee all of those things, and that's God. And that's why at the end of the story, it is God who evaluates his life. And in verse 21, Jesus adds, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Because it is only in God and our relationship with him that our future is secure. The third story we're going to look at next week is about what does that look like to be rich toward God? We're going to look at that next week. But the bottom line of this parable that Jesus is telling us, telling that crowd, telling that young brother, 
is that what really matters in life is not what you have, but what God thinks of you, where you stand with God. Because it is only God who can take care of our lives and our future. Only he can make those secure. Only he can handle any circumstance in the world. Only he can provide what we're looking for. If we know him, if we accept him as our God, if we have a relationship with him, if we're listening to him as he gives us direction for our lives, we not only know him as our God, but we love him as our heavenly father and accept him as the king over our lives. Because only he can handle life. So what are we doing? Where are you investing your life? Where are you looking for that meaning, that hope, that security, that future? Are you like that foolish farmer? Or are you being wise? I wanted to try a little object lesson to help us think about that. Jason, this is your big moment. Jason made the mistake of sitting on the aisle, so I told him that I was going to put him to work. So stay right there, and I want you to walk towards that back wall, would you? And you're just going to keep going. You're going to go all the way to that TV back there, or close. Just don't pull it out. Keep going. Oh, keep going, keep going. You're only halfway there. Now, this rope is really good news because it represents your life. About six more feet there, there, oh, good. Okay, there you go. You see that? You have a long life. And honestly, truthfully, this rope doesn't end there. If it was going to be for real and this rope represented your life, it would go out the back door. And Jason would keep going past 694. And this rope would keep going even through Iowa. I couldn't resist. <laughs> and, 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 and down to the Gulf Coast. And this rope would actually keep going past the equator. To Antarctica. And that rope would actually come curve around the world and it'd be coming this way again. You think we're special? We are special. We're not some animal. No animal has a life like this. Only humans made in the image of God with the spirit of God in them, the breath of God. We have that life because you see, our lives do go on forever. Now, what you can't see is what I'm holding in my hand. There's a, about an inch and a half of red. And that's this life on earth. Where we're so focused about building bigger barns. And what we have and what people think. And our portfolios and our popularity. And what we accumulate. And our degrees and on and on. Whatever yardstick you use. We're focused here. And we think we can handle life until this little black line happens called 
our physical death. And you see, then we're just starting to live. And it is God who controls the rest of that line. And so Jesus says, you silly farmer, you're focused right here, and you think you've got it covered, and you've ignored all of that? You're a fool. Wake up. You need to be rich toward the God who made that line and controls it forever. Forever. Where are you focusing on your line? Here or on the God who takes care of you forever? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you care about our lines and you were willing to die on the cross as Jesus so our line could be full of joy forever and you will take care of us. Help us to be wise, not like that foolish farmer, and to trust and focus on you, the only one who can take care of our lines forever. In your son's name, amen.